0: Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Well, this morning we're continuing our time in the Gospel of Luke, and this morning is going to be a little different because our passage is just a little different. Uh, as we go through here, we're going to notice that Jesus doesn't say one single word to Herod, and yet you know how, especially if you're married, you know how sometimes um, silence can be deafening, right? Sometimes uh, when when people don't necessarily say something to you, but you know what they're saying. Um, well, this is a this silence is a cautionary tale, and so this is Luke twenty three, uh, one through twelve. This is God's word to us. Then the whole company of them arose and brought Jesus before Pilate, and they began to accuse Jesus, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Then Jesus answered him, You've said so. But then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee, even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether Jesus was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, Pilate sent Jesus over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. Now, when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see Jesus do some sign. So he questioned him at some length, but Jesus made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him, and Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying Jesus in splendid clothing, Herod sent Jesus back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had... They had been at enmity with each other. This is God's word. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask that your spirit would come and illuminate, just just make clear this passage. Uh, Lord, for this next little bit, uh, Lord, cause us to hide your word in our hearts. We ask this in Christ. Amen. Okay, so it, it's heartbreaking when someone leaves the church, right? It, it's heartbreaking when someone who is, who has heard the word preached and heard the gospel, uh, that, that you are not your own, but in Jesus, you belong body and soul to God, that, that God forgives you, that he cleanses you and adopts you, and, and he calls you his. It's, it's disorienting when someone grows up with that and then walks away from the faith. And, and you know, at one point, they were in the church, and they even experienced some of God's blessings, but not anymore. Um, now they're what the Bible would would call an apostate. And and real quick, apostasy doesn't mean that if you're saved and you can possibly lose that salvation at some point uh, in the future. Uh, No, this this is just key to just the gospel. If you are in Jesus, it's not you who keep you in Jesus, but it is Jesus who keeps you, and Jesus does not lose any of his own. And this is why we, at least I try to in most of our worship services with that benediction of God's keeping and God's blessing his own. It's the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you just to remind us of who it is that keeps who. And so, you know, we all we all go wayward at times, right? You know, the, the, the Baptists may call it backsliding a little bit. Um, there's a prodigal streak in all of us and so which means there are times where we need Christians and this is another reason why Christian fellowship is is vital like we need Christians to to have a come to Jesus talk with us and to rebuke us and to to call us back to Jesus in love but that doesn't mean you're an apostate um that just means you're just a regular Christian so uh, apostasy is when someone who wants claim to be a Christian later renounces the gospel, renounces that. So the Bible says that in the, the latter times, later times, people who once called themselves Christians will, will reject Christ and they'll fall away. But what's interesting uh, is, at least in, look, in my limited pastoral experience, I've noticed people rarely leave the church over theological problems. and I, some, some do, right? But the irony of ironies is often people leave Jesus and leave the church because of the very reason they need Jesus. If you listen closely, you'll often find that at the root, people almost always leave the church ultimately because of sin, uh, either because they're ashamed and they don't see how the gospel could possibly meet them where they are, or they just leave the church because they don't want to follow Jesus. They've heard that the, you know, the Jesus way is a call to repent and like kill sin, and they just don't want to. You know, they found their bondage to sin to be more beautiful than the freedom and forgiveness found in Christ, and so they'll say you know, it's it sounds differently, but it's all some variation of I I don't want to change, like I, I I don't I don't care what anybody says I'm going to continue in my sin, and when that happens, it is it is danger, Will Robinson. Okay, actually, the Apostle Paul says when that happens. And our conscience uh, becomes seared, which begs the question what exactly is a conscience? Well, Kevin DeYoung put it this way he said, the conscience is the moral faculty within human beings that uh, assesses what is good and what is bad. And so we know that, like, you know, knowing right from wrong is, is what makes us functioning human beings, right? This ability to kind of walk between those two. And what's more is in Scripture, we find that there's a very close connection between the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the operation of the conscience. So the the Spirit shines light on what sin is or on what is good in us, and the conscience bears witness to that. In other words, the, the Holy Spirit works in tandem with the conscience to produce in us a life of godliness, a life of peace. And so since Jesus at this point is still on trial, to kind of put this in trial lingo, our conscience acts as both the prosecuting attorney and our defense attorney. Uh, it's our prosecuting attorney in that it convicts the dickens out of us, does it not? It convicts us of sin when we violate God's law. It's It, it keeps us up at night. And a conscience, when working properly, is that sixth sense that impresses upon us this feeling of guilt for deeds misdone. It, it, it takes that and it points us to our need of Jesus. So again, a, a healthy conscience is a wonderful thing. But then on the other hand, it's also our defense attorney. Uh, DeYoung says, <laughs> we usually think of the conscience as this little voice in our head that tells us mom was right, right? And, and I, I suppose the conscience can work like that, but it's also a, a healthy conscience defends us against false accusations. You know, our, our conscience helps us, us face the accusations of the devil or, or maybe from other just people who slander us. Um, it, it helps us to stand up and say, in Christ, no, that is not who I am. But in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. And so to have a healthy conscience is to be fully alive, which means, d- despite the lack of political correctness here, to have a malfunctioning conscience is to be less than human, okay? It's like Pinocchio. I mean, Pinocchio nailed it, right? And talk about a heavy story, right? That is so much more than a kid's cartoon. Remember, Pinocchio was this wooden puppet that was magically made into a real boy, right? And once Pinocchio became a real boy, you all remember who was assigned to be his conscience? This little cricket, uh, Jiminy Cricket, Right. But in the, at least the Disney uh, movie, Pinocchio didn't stay a little boy for very long. It wasn't long before he fell in with people who led him astray. And he started lying and lying. And what happens? The more he lied, the more what happened? Mumble, mumble. Yeah, his his nose grew uh, bigger and bigger. And the author was stating that, and we know this to be true, um, it's it's a way of saying that over time our lies become as plain as the nose on our face. Right? We lie, we lie, we lie. Everybody knows we're lying. Okay. We think we think we're getting away with it, but everybody can see. Well, then as Pinocchio continues to ignore Jiminy Cricket, what started to happen to Pinocchio? He he stopped becoming a boy and started becoming something something else. Right? He started turning into a donkey. Like so. The, the, like the whole point of Pinocchio is the more you ignore your conscience, the more you become less than human, like the, the more you become like a beast. And so De young closes with this. He says, a conscience is not only indispensable to living a life pleasing to God and enjoying peace with God, like it's essential for living as, as the human beings God made us to be. And so Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul talked about the conscience all the time. It was a big deal to him because there's a real danger here. And so, Westminster, some of you who are hearing this this morning may be dangerously close to having a seared conscience, and it's really hard to come back from that. The Greek word seared, or from which we get seared, is, um, well, it's where we get our English word cauterized. It's when live tissue is burned to stop bleeding, which is a really good thing when you're bleeding out, right? You want the bleeding to stop, but it also has a side effect, you know, when something is cauterized, often the, the nerves are damaged, which means you no longer feel pain nor really anything uh, from that spot. Well, y'all, the same thing can happen to our conscience. It can become cauterized by by sin and by continually walking away from the Jesus way. Phil Riken says the more we sin, the less painful sin seems, until finally the conscience becomes dead to all feeling. And I know know, us Presbyterians are thinking, or can think, okay, but it's God who calls us, and it's God who saves us, and it's God who keeps us. So if it's all God, then why should we be concerned with the conscience? Well, that is true, right? But Scripture also teaches that true saving grace is accompanied by something. It's accompanied by fruit, by this gospel-empowered work. What uh, what did Paul say? He said, work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, it's both. And I know like people don't like this. It's uncomfortable holding both of those. But God is 100% sovereign, and at the same time, we are responsible for not forfeiting our soul. Okay. Well, while the heavy conscience talk, Well, that's the undercurrent of our passage. After the kangaroo court that we saw last week, the Sanhedrin still needed Rome to get a a death conviction, a death sentence. So they marched Jesus down the street to talk to this guy named Pontius Pilate, and they just started throwing out charges, hoping one of them would stick. They went to Pilate with three trumped up charges about Jesus. They said, one, Pilate, this Jesus here is, is misleading our nation. Like Not only is he misleading our youth, but he says that he wants to take your spot. We know that's not true. Two, Pilate, this here Jesus is forbidding people from giving, uh, for, from giving tribute to Caesar. That's not what Jesus meant when he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's. And then three, Pilate, this Jesus here is he's saying that he himself is the Christ, that he's the king. Well, as we know from last week, that's not true. Jesus's preferred title was Son of Man. But here, here's the thing. Pilate, I mean, Pilate's not an idiot. Like he knew those were all false accusations. Pilate looked at this beat up Jesus, and I I, at least I imagine him almost playfully asking, Are you okay, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus just said, You said so. In, In other words, it's it's you who are saying this. And so Pilate saw straight through the Sanhedrin and he just pronounced that there's no guilt in this man, case case closed. But the Sanhedrin didn't stop. They said, but Pilate, th- this man, like he's stirring up the people all the way from like Galilee all the way to here. And at that, Pilate breathed a sigh of relief. You know, Will Rogers famously said, there have been two great errors in American history, the passing of the buffalo and the passing of the buck. And since some of Jesus' activity was in Galilee, that meant that Pilate could then send Jesus to Herod. That was Herod's jurisdiction. And it just so happened that Herod was in Jerusalem. And so Pilate passed the buck to to Herod. Okay, so who was this Herod? Well, this is not Herod the Great. Uh, This is uh, Herod the Great's son, Herod Antipas. And so if Herod the Great was like the godfather, Herod Antipas is uh, like Jersey Shore, okay? Uh, Herod the Great was known to be a strong, Albic, sociopathic military leader, all the while his son was best known for his life of debauchery. And, and this isn't the first time we see Herod Antipas in scripture. In, in fact, if you're reading through the gospel, just pretend like you're reading the Gospels for the first time, one of the big questions that happened, especially in the Gospel of Mark, is, is will Herod become a believer? Because he had every opportunity to. And so this interaction with Jesus right here has a context that starts way back with John the Baptist. And so there was a time where Herod actually enjoyed listening to John the Baptist, his sermons. He he was genuinely interested in what John had to say. That was until John started pointing out Herod's sin And so we see that God has given us his good design for human flourishing. And apparently since the time of Jesus, the government hasn't taken too kindly to people who remind them of that. And so Herod had developed a little thing for his brother's wife. And he took his brother's wife to be his wife. And John called him out. Well, his new wife, which coincidentally her name was Herodias, uh, she wasn't having it. And so with her encouragement, Herod arrested John and threw him in, in prison. But even then, John, uh, Herod's conscience was stirred. Like There was still life there. Though he had locked John the Baptist up, he, he, still, he kind of protected John. He would pull him out of his cell to, to listen to him, him preach. There was still hope there, but, but you know what happened. Misha read it this morning. Herod had a birthday party. And they called them stag parties. It's like it's those parties where all the guys get together and don't invite women, and things just get crazy, right? Um, and these stag parties were very common with the Herods. And so Herodias knew how these parties went. Um, she knew that the copious amounts of alcohol would at some point give way to an increasingly sensual and depraved evening uh, progressing until the men uh, demanded, what uh, they would quote, "male entertainments." And so she waited until the the liquid bravado was in full effect before she made her move. It's like um, a Reba McIntyre song, right? She got her teenage daughter dolled up and sent her in to dance for the men. And and since these voluptuous dances typically were performed by court prostitutes, the fact that it was Salome, a woman of rank—I mean, this is like Herodias' daughter—it caused quite the stir— And the drunken men were very pleased. And so as things happened, caught up in the moment, Herod made a drunken promise. Ask me for whatever you want. I'll give it to you. I'll give you whatever you want. Well, Salome went back to mom who said, ask for the head of John, the freaking Baptist. And Salome then went back, told Herod what she wanted. And even though he was drunk, in that moment, Mark records that Herod was exceedingly sorry. Can you imagine that? In fact, that that word is only used one other time in the entire gospels, and it was the same word used of Jesus in Gethsemane. Like you you see that Herod's conscience, like he's he's torn here. He does not want to kill John the Baptist. And yet at the same time, he in that moment, like his shuddering conscience, is a sign that anything's possible, even his repentance. But what would his friends think? if he backed out on his drunken promise. And so can we go there just for a second? That Have you ever been in this situation where, though your conscience is screaming, like you, you, you kind of get this, this pull of what needs to happen, and yet he silenced it uh, because he feared what others would think if he didn't go through with it. And so treasuring his reputation over relationship with the living God, he ordered John be killed. But even that was not the end. Like, you know the the poem, the Telltale Heart. His his conscience still grieved him even after John's death. In fact, when he heard about Jesus, his first thought was, "Is John the Baptist come back from the dead? He's come back." And so, you know, there are moments, we experience this every day, right? There are these moments where, like, chance words or maybe smells or like something triggers, something triggers the conscience about a certain sin. Uh, and gives us opportunity to repent and to receive God's forgiveness again. Um, Well, that's what happened with Herod. And again, Herod had the opportunity to repent and turn, but once again, he suppressed it and he ignored it. And it, it didn't matter if it was John the Baptist again or if that was Jesus, he was going to kill him again. And with that, Herod finally plunged into utter darkness. And so by the time uh, Jesus shows up here before Herod, we see the end game of a continually seared conscience. Like, this is this is where we're heading if we're doing that. Herod had no interest in what Jesus had to say. I mean, Jesus was just a magic trick to him. He just wanted Jesus to do something cool. And when Jesus wouldn't do that, Herod, Herod just bullied him, mocked him, and sought to humiliate him. And did you know, I think we've talked about this earlier in Luke, but Herod was the only person Jesus is recorded ever as showing contempt towards someone. Remember what Jesus said about Herod? Jesus, Jesus called Herod a fox. And, you know, foxes back then, though very crafty, their craftiness was up to no good. And so what, do you, what did Jesus say to someone whose conscience is so seared by unbelief? Like, what do you say to someone who's so far into unbelief when our passages, as the old African-American spiritual puts it, Jesus said not a mumbling word. Leon Morris said, when Jesus has nothing to say to a person, that person's position is hopeless indeed. All right, so what does all this mean as we close out? Well, this little interaction with, with Herod, though, Jesus doesn't say a mumbling word. It's a vivid reminder that the conscience is something that can be damaged. And, and so if you're not a believer, like if you hear you're not a believer, but you find yourself being drawn to Jesus, um, you hear the gospel and you say, man, that's good. Don't settle for merely being a hearer, please. Like, lean into that. Like, lean into that conviction. When you feel convicted, lean into that. Lean into that call to repent and to to turn towards Jesus and to just follow Him in life. Throughout Scripture, we hear the refrain, McLeod reminded us today. It's this. It's today. If you hear the Lord's voice, like, don't walk away. Don't harden your heart. But today, today, receive. Today, respond to that. And so, see that Jesus isn't just useful. Like, he's not here just to give you a magic trick. He's not just like a dopamine, a dopamine hit of the warm fuzzies that I need. No, he's beautiful. Like, he is life itself. But then, if you are a believer, this is what I mean, what a great reminder that though it's impossible for the conscience of a true believer to die, it can definitely become frail. It can be times where it's barely a pulse there. So if we hear the gospel call and it doesn't convict nor satisfy us, beware. And just beware. And really, that's one of the reasons why Catherine slaves over these, um, well, these daily podcasts. That's, I think, didn't realize how what we were biting off when we said we're going to do one every day. Um, just... <laughs> That's one of the reasons why Catherine is doing this is because it, we can get just a daily dose, just a daily shot of gospel B12 every single day. So that in this cold, cold world, we can, we can have our souls warmed by, by the fire of the gospel. And by the Spirit, we respond by not just being hearers of the word, but also grace-empowered doers. And so if you are in Jesus, it really is as simple as the hymn that we're going to close out with this morning right it is trust like we hear the gospel we trust it trust and obey for there's no there is no other way i wish there was a, a quicker way there's no other way to be happy in jesus but to trust and obey amen amen let me pray for us father we thank you for this reminder again of just on the conscience level what what can happen Uh, Lord, may we not harden our hearts. May we not reject the call. Uh, May we not be like Herod and hear it and hear it and hear it. And each time just suppress, suppress, suppress. And we just do what we want. But Lord, may you convict us and call us. And may we see Jesus to be more beautiful than our sin. Uh, May we see him to be more beautiful than anything else. Uh, Lord, fill us with hope, uh, fill us with joy. Lord, as we come to your table now, we ask that you would take these common everyday elements, that you would set them apart to be a means of grace to your people to remind us uh, in a very tangible way what the gospel is. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is, or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.